Good evening and welcome to this special edition of Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square, where tonight we're also being simulcast on our sister radio station, WBCA-FM 102.9. On tonight's show, two hours of live coverage from today's Boston City Council races, including all the results, uh, some special guests, some very special guests, including uh, Mayor Michelle Wu, and some expert analysis. And we're watching all the races, including some, some district races that uh, offer perhaps some surprises, winners. All that and more tonight on Talking the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned, we'll be right back with uh, Mayor Michelle Wu. Welcome back to Talk of the Neighborhood. So nice to see you today. Nice to see you as always. Well, um, we appreciate you coming by or coming on the show today. I, I should say it's uh, the sun started shining, a perfect election day, uh, unlike some years past. And I'm wondering as you went around to the polls today, what did you see out there? Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't so long ago, uh, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, these City council elections all rather sleepy. You've been to, through a few of those yourself. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering, do you think, uh, how was the turnout today? Do you think people take this for granted? Well, I was out by somewhere around 7.15, 7.30 a.m. Um, at a polling place. At that point, it was still raining a bit, so we were kind of huddled up with the hood on and just trying to uh, greet voters as they were running, you know, making their way in, dodging the raindrops. And there was still a lot of excitement to participate in democracy and to vote in this moment. By the time uh, I had gotten around to the second or third polling location, when the sun came out, that's when really uh, smiles were on people's faces. And so it has been a beautiful day. Turnout by, um, I think the 3 p.m. count was the last that I saw that was publicly released. A little over 50,000 people had voted mm -hmm. in the election, including my guess is most of the mail-in ballots had already been counted at that point at each of the polling locations. So, you know, it's it's we always wish that more people uh, would come out for the city elections and especially the non, you know, the city council only elections. But there's a lot of um, momentum out there and everyone I saw coming to the polls seemed really excited and um, very much understanding why it's so so important to make your voices heard. Uh, some very interesting races this year on the ballot. Uh... You know, you put yourself on the line, uh, so to speak. You uh, came out and endorsed uh, some of the candidates, three or four of my, I, mean, I, I lost 
track of the count, but uh, you know, the main thing, using some of your political capital, so to speak, to, uh, to help uh, some of the, your favorite candidates. Uh, what made you decide to do that? A lot of other uh, uh, elected officials refrain from, they're afraid they'll uh, alienate uh, people, but uh, you didn't seem, to, didn't seem to affect you. Yeah, I mean, it's always, in some ways, it's always easier to do nothing in politics because whenever you take an action, there's likely some trade-off that's happening or someone might feel um, that you're, you know, leaning towards another way or their way. Mm -hmm. And so it's always hard. And those are some difficult conversations. Uh, but for me, my goal has always been to try to move the work, deliver for the city of Boston and our residents. And the city council is incredibly port important in getting things done for, for our communities, especially now when so much is stalled at the federal level and we need every single city and municipality and especially those with resources to step up. And so um, I am a voter in addition to being the mayor. Mm -hmm. So some of this is I've been making my own preferences and, and thinking um, known to everyone because I, I do get asked about it. So I'm trying to be transparent as well. I have uh, chosen to focus on highlighting uh, first-time candidates because there are, you know, every time there are so mm -hmm. many candidates when everyone is on the ballot altogether, the entire city council up for re-election or election. And I remember how hard it was, especially as a first-time candidate when no one knows you, to get that attention and, and to get a little bit of um, visibility. So I'm helping city council, uh, city council at large candidate Henry Santana and then district candidates Sharon Durkin, who is still uh, relatively new in that she right. won the special election, but this is her first full election in District 8. Um, Enrique Pepin in District 5, which is the district that I live in, and then Ben Weber in District 6. Well, uh, you know, some interesting results in the preliminaries, in, including the uh, defeat of uh, two incumbent counselors, uh, virtually unheard of in, in past years, past decades. Uh, uh, what did you learn from this year's council race that uh, has kind of informed your approach going forward? Does that say something? What does that say about the mood of the electorate, in your opinion? It's hard to overgeneralize, um, you know, too much on on mm -hmm. any given election year. I think there's a lot of punditry that can happen. You know, was this a reaction to some federal thing or a, you know an ideological shift? I found that at the local level especially in the district races, it is so personal. And it is because you're running to represent an area where in the course of the election, you probably should have or, or definitely had the capacity and time uh, to be able to knock on every single door within a district. It's not like you're running for president and you can't possibly get mm -hmm. to every single doorstep. This is a case where your representative is the person you're going to run into walking the dog around the neighborhood or out at, the, you know, standing out at the grocery store or at the bus stop. So it, it's very dependent on how people have interacted with the candidates who are in the field, um, their understanding of all of the issues, certainly, yeah. but at the city level and at the district level, especially their understanding of who's going to be prepared and positioned to help deliver and get things done that are the bread and butter of city services. Well, you certainly were not involved in any scandals uh, on the scale that uh, some of those who, who failed to uh, advance uh, uh, dealt with. But uh, uh, does it make you uh, wary of uh, uh, taking some of the positions you have or 
you've made some hard decisions this, so far this term. Uh, how's it, uh, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very complex time in the world. When I was sworn in uh, almost two years ago at this point, yep. we were right at the tail end of the pandemic right. and still seeing many lives being lost to COVID in that moment and our hospitals still over capacity trying to manage with that global emergency. And in the months since then, there's been a lot of rebuilding that has been necessary. And so we've tried our best as an administration to not only help the city recover and help a workforce recover that's been stretched so thin and pulled in so many directions as at the front line of delivering services for multiple years without the ability to work remotely. It's our teachers and our sanitation workers and our first responders who were on the front lines. And in many cases, contracts were not um, renewed or, or were not kept up to date because of the pandemic and other reasons. And so when Lots we of stepped, ground to make up. Yeah. There was a lot to dig through. Yep. And so um, I had to hire almost the entire cabinet from scratch. Many of the very important positions were all vacant at the same time. Yeah. Police commissioner, fire commissioner, school superintendent, right. chief of planning. And so as we've gotten our team really solidified, it's been a blessing to be able to work alongside such brilliant people who are so devoted yep. to the city. And we do our best every day <clears throat> to identify where we can make progress and keep going. Well, when you ran and, and ultimately were elected, you said you wanted the uh, your administration, the city of Boston government to reflect uh, the, the people in the city of Boston and uh, uh, went about doing it. Uh, how are you feeling about these uh, first two years? Uh, it's a tough job, maybe the, in my opinion, the toughest job uh, in, in the Commonwealth. And uh, how are you feeling about it? Has it been a success in your mind? And, and uh, what's your approach as you look forward to the next two years? Well, we have assembled a team that reflects the city, both in the um, communities that are reflected in, our, in across our neighborhoods, but also in the wisdom and the experience that people bring. Some, you know, very often decades of having come up through the ranks of the agencies that they're now in charge of and helping to steer. Um, I think our goal has been to provide the very best services that we can to take a look at the hardest challenges that Boston is facing, not settle for things having to be um, hard or, or difficult as they always have, but trying wherever we can to move things forward, whether that is in the school system and under Superintendent Skipper's leadership, making big changes uh, to ensure that we are lifting the standards to what our young people and our educators deserve and putting supports in place to make that happen, renovating buildings and getting things up to the level that is deserved. We were one of the only large school districts in the state that was able to open on time this beginning of the school year when there was a heat wave that went across Massachusetts because we had spent 18 months installing the air conditioning units in classrooms. And that's just one small example yeah. of all the groundwork that was laid. Or when we think about mass and casts and the deep challenges all laid on top of each other there, our team's approach and progress that we've made. And sometimes it's felt like we had to build housing and treatment and medical mm -hmm. infrastructure and then needed to go back for more legal authority so Boston police could be a full partner. But today we're at a very different place than we were certainly two years mm -hmm. ago uh, and even over uh, several months ago because we keep 
learning, we keep working, and we keep trying to include everyone in what we're doing. How about Mass and Cass? Are you satisfied with the uh, progress that's been made so far? A, a big decision to remove the tents, uh, uh, and some people uh, said long overdue uh, should have been removed, and of course some people just say that you're just kicking the can down the road, you know, point a little devil's advocate here, but uh, how, do you, how do you look at that? And uh, uh, do you feel like uh, you did everything possible to help those there that really needed help and, and move those along, those ne'er-do-wells that might have been down there for other reasons? Well, I'll just say that um, every city around the country is struggling with this. And we know the numbers in Boston, while they are something that we're going to stay on top of, um, relatively speaking, it is a challenge that is manageable for us when we need to keep holding ourselves to a standard of doing it. We had in our annual point in time count of unsheltered individuals living on the street last year, 119 people sleeping on the street. In a city in Los Angeles, for example, their count was at nearly 25,000 people in the same category. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that we're all trying to find our way forward on. And, it, and it's uh, the result of many, many different broken systems. But what we have done in Boston is to design and implement a program that is really around people. How do we help every single person get themselves on their feet and ensure that we're not just pushing people out of an area, but helping to support them along their recovery journey. And so whenever tents had been taken down or cleared in the past, um, in years past, there wasn't a sense of where anyone would go after that. Here we've, through concerted efforts, really created more shelter placements and housing that's available, created more service and um, treatment options, and then worked to connect each person individually. That very last day when we were uh, connecting people in the last two tents that remained were because the residents had dogs and they wanted to make sure they could have a placement where they could stay with their beloved family member, a furry family member. And so our staff worked even to ensure that they could find a placement where that pet was allowed, the pet could get vaccinated and everyone could be together, all the property stored. And um, that's the level of care that has gone into this situation. Will the tents be gone just during the cold weather season, or do you intend to, uh, as we get through back through to the spring and next summer, uh, keep the same policy in place? This is the new. This is a new policy moving forward. That once we've gotten the authority from the city council to, uh, before there had been a, pr a provision where, with shelter and storage for belongings and transportation. Um, the tents could come down only with 48 hours notice, but that was always the, the hard part that we couldn't react as immediately. And so now that the uh, rules have been updated and are very clear, the, the Boston Police Department and our Public Health Commission can respond immediately, not just after 48 hours, we'll be able to maintain this moving forward. Well, Mayor Wu, I give you a lot of credit. You set a very ambitious agenda uh, at the start. And uh... Uh, seems to be making progress on, on a lot of fronts. And I want to ask you about some of those. Uh, in particular, if, if uh, you don't mind, uh, your transportation policy. Now, you did get a seat on the MBTA board uh, for the city of Boston. Congratulations on that. Uh, as far as free transportation, I know that there, there's a pilot uh, project that, uh, if I remember correctly, expires uh, towards the end of February. Will, those, will that program 
continue? And are you making other progress in terms of uh, freeing up uh, transportation options for people? The uh, ability for Boston to have a direct say in the govern governing board of the T with a, a seat now representing Boston, that is a huge step that was many, many years of advocacy from community members and the city. And so we're very grateful that Mary Skelton Roberts, who just has a, a very deep expertise in transportation and climate and uh, is an orange line rider, her, um, that she is representing Boston there and has been seated for the last uh, about two months at this point. And so we will continue to be in every conversation supporting the MBTA with the fixes that they need to accelerate progress. We did see, for example, with the red line being shut down for a few weeks or a portion of the red line shut down, that after that was lifted, they were able to remove many of the slow zones. And so I am all for, as a, a commuter myself, I am all for trying to find ways to get it done, get it done quickly, reliably, and get it done well so that we don't have to live through years and years dragged on of nighttime fixes mm -hmm. or weekend fixes. Let's just get it right. Uh, when it comes to what we're doing at the city level, including our fare free pilot, right. including our efforts around bus and how to create more options everywhere for transportation to be reliable. Um, we've seen great success. The, the ridership on those three bus lines that where there have not been financial barriers have been the highest in the whole system. And I was there just on the weekend in the middle of the day and it's the double buses that are connected with right. the kind of stretchy material in the middle uh, at the, at, along the 28 bus route that pulled up and it was already full more people got on and it's clear everyone got on on, on all doors yep. in the front the middle and the back and so it was very fast yep. uh, we see the benefits and i hear it in community you got, as well do you have the money to continue that is that something you know, we're still having some internal conversations as we're planning out our budget because that was funded through the federal recovery right. funds in order to allow us to test it out and see how what what the investment and the return was for the city so we will um, continue to sort that out in the next little bit so that we can be sure. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised, but, you know, not everybody, and, and I'm, I'm sure they're happy about the, uh, the bus service, don't get me wrong, but uh, uh, when it comes to bicycle lanes and your efforts to uh, provide more options, more safety for uh, uh, pedestrians and different modes of transportation, uh, not everybody's happy with those... Uh, those uh, bus lanes, are you surprised? Boston is a city that is quite, you know, call it historic or call it old, you know, where we have a many, many centuries history of developing and adding more people and, and ebbs and flows. Our population had been growing for the last 10 plus years very quickly, but without building the housing to support that or the transportation infrastructure to support that properly either. And we're now having to play catch up on both fronts, on creating more housing, making sure that it's family-sized and affordable, and then also trying to figure out how we move everyone from where they can live and afford to live to where they need to work and go to school and go to the doctor and everything in between. It is, we all, pre-pandemic, Boston already had the worst rush hour traffic out of any major city, unfortunately. And after, you know, the pandemic kind of saw things dip a little bit as everyone stayed home where they could, but now we're right back at it. And without, if we do nothing, we're going to be frozen in traffic everywhere we're trying to go. And so this is really about how to use the space that we have, because unlike other parts in the country where you can, there's endless land and you can just build new roads or expand this or that, 
we have what we have defined by those cow paths early on and we're not going to be able to get more room for cars to uh, keep adding more roads and so we have to be more intentional about how we move more people on the same space that's available and that means we have to give people options first with um, making sure that our roads are are clear and reliable and and second that our public transportation system is truly functional that should be the number one option for people um, and then we also want to make it available for everyone to bike or walk or get around safely in many cases taking the same actions to make a street safe for children or seniors to use is also what's going to make it safe for every single road user. Well, I, I hear you, and you mentioned the housing and uh, uh, coming up uh, uh, later in the program, uh, two of your favorite lawmakers, well, uh, two of many, I'm sure, but uh, uh, House Majority Leader Michael Moran and House Ways and Means Chair Aaron uh, Michaelwitz will be joining us, of course. Uh, you've got some bills pending up on the at the state house, uh, the home rule petitions, including one for rent stabilization. Some people calling it rent control. Uh, you've got uh, a, a reorg plan uh, for uh, uh, Boston Planning and Development Agency, uh, amongst others. Uh, are you satisfied with the progress that you're making up there? And uh, uh, what about the housing situation? Uh, do you feel that, uh, uh, well, uh, that's just one of many. I know you've, uh, you've also pushed through uh, uh, you know, uh, some of uh, the whole accessory department, uh, apartments and expediting uh, development. Uh, are you pleased with the progress on the housing front? We can't do enough fast enough. At this point, again, we are playing catch up and there, everybody can feel it. When you, when you see that housing prices where you grew up or where you just purchased your home not too long ago have are now out of reach. Um, and, and we look around our neighborhoods and it, I hear so often that families are worried that their kids won't be able to return to the neighborhoods that they grew up in because of housing prices. People are getting pushed out of our city, out of our schools, out of our communities. And this is really a, a kind of existential issue for Boston. Mm -hmm. Uh, our whether we're going to thrive coming out of the pandemic with the with changes to the economy is going to depend on whether we catch up on housing. And so um, our goal is to do everything we can. The city and the state have a different purview and kind of operate at a different pace mm -hmm. and with a different set of factors that everyone has to think about. I get to be very micro focused on my community and Boston residents, and they have to think about all the very different communities across the state. And so. We're doing are are you hopeful, though, that some some action will be the the uh, uh, legislature and of course the governor Absolutely. will take some action? Yes, I am. I am. Well, I need. To, I am determined and hopeful uh, that we can use every possible mechanism. As you said, that's speeding up our processes at the local level and finding city-owned land and putting out those 150 vacant lots for local developers to create affordable mm -hmm. housing. Redoing our own municipal buildings with affordable housing on top of them, like the West End Library, and then trying to work with the state to speed up what we need for more resources in the long run to keep doing this and making housing affordable mm -hmm. and to help keep people in their homes. Uh, Mayor, we're just about out of time, but uh, I got to ask, is it too early to be thinking about re-election? I think we have a very important election. After today, all eyes are going to turn to the presidential race and 
Massachusetts always has a role with our mm-hmm. neighbor uh, in New Hampshire and, and certainly with our voices across the country as well. Um, at the same time, there's so much to do, and I'm very excited and grateful to be able to do this work every day. Um, I hope to stick around and have mm-hmm. impact with, with residents, uh, but it's certainly not time yet to <laughs> move on to any next Well, uh, is it everything you expected? I know I, I mentioned at the top it's uh, certainly one of the toughest jobs, if not the toughest job in the city in the Commonwealth, uh, 24-7, so to speak. It's got to be uh, uh, tough on you and your family at times, but uh, uh, you're managing it, or you seem to be managing it, and... and uh, how do you deal with it going forward? What's your... Uh... It's, it's a gift and a blessing. And um, it's not... I think it's hard for any working parent uh, in any job mm-hmm. to juggle everything sometimes. My boys are six and eight now. So our lives have been full of dropping this one at soccer and that one, picking that one up and, and all of these activities on top of uh, everything that we're trying to do in the city. But they are now, you know, they've lived their whole lives uh, understanding what it means to serve. And they were both born after I was on the city council. They're expert door knockers. They love uh, engaging and sharing their opinions on the issues. And so I feel very blessed to be able to have this job and to do it alongside um, a family that is is very excited to be in the thick of it. Well, you are blessed. and, uh, And we're blessed to have you join us today on this special edition of Talking to the Neighbors. Meru, best of luck going forward. We hope you'll come back again soon, and uh, thank you for joining us today. When we thank come you. back uh, with more of Talking to the Neighbors, well, we'll be uh, talking with two senior lawmakers from Beacon Hill will be joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of this special edition of Talking to the Neighborhoods. The biggest thing for me is a livable, common sense minimum wage because with a minimum wage that people can actually live off of, you'll see uh, people's time, people have like more free time, and which means that they'll be more available to participate in the community, they'll be more available to participate in local elections, they'll get involved with like, um, (laughs) they'll get involved with local government. There's so much turmoil in the world that I believe it's important that we have someone in leadership who can bring people together and help people come to uh, an understanding, a resolution, and a way for people to be able to live peacefully together, even though they may disagree on certain issues. With prices going up, I feel like there should be a balance between people being able to make enough for the prices of a lot of things going up from food to gas to even rent a place to live. So I feel like there should be a balance so people are able to maintain themselves. I think they're the same issues that, that have been around for many years. I mean, I've had school-aged children, so schooling was always an issue for me. Nowadays, traffic is a big issue, particularly in West Roxbury, where I'm from. Um, and, you know, uh, like I say, having people that are willing to think it through and to try to draw people into the conversation and come up with some solutions. All right, we're back in studio with this special edition of Talk of the Neighborhoods. Tonight, all the returns from today's Boston City Council election with some uh, special guests and some expert analysis. And in this segment, uh, pleased to have joining me uh, two of uh, Speaker Ron Mariano's top lieutenants uh, from Boston, state representatives, both uh, on my 
far right, uh, far your far right, my my left. Uh, he's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee from the North End, Aaron Mikewitz. Nice to have you here, Aaron. Thank you for me. And the uh, new House Majority Leader, while not quite so new, but uh, recent from Brighton, uh, State Representative Michael Moran. Michael, nice to have always you a there. pleasure, Joe. Nice uh, time, can, by the way. Yeah, so yeah, we we got to get ready for this show. <laughs> you know it. Um, anyway, thanks for coming in, guys. Nice to, nice to have you here. Uh, we are tracking all the results, and we do have uh, some early numbers in the at-large race. Again, these are preliminary numbers, and we want to bring them to you, as we will periodically throughout the night. And uh, you can see there, um, it looks like uh, uh, I've believe Aaron Murphy is uh, late. I, I'm having a hard time seeing the uh, Rootsy and then Yeah, Rootsy. Mejia third, Santana fourth. Yep. Bridget yeah. E. Walsh fifth. Yep. Um, anyway, these are just preliminary numbers. We're not sure where they're coming from. Uh, as uh, many of you watching may know, uh, the top four finishers in the at-large council race uh, will be elected. And there's, of course, an and open seats, so to speak. They're all open seats, uh, technically speaking, but three incumbents. And uh, many people watching to see who uh, picks up that fourth seat. Guys, nice to have you here tonight. Um, well, uh, does it, let me ask this, does it matter who uh, your Boston City Councilor is? Uh, how important is uh, that? How important is it uh, to the city? Well, my, my district city councilor is, yes. is the most important one. Uh, I'm lucky to have um, Councilor Breeden out, out where we are, and um, we work very well together. I mean, I think Aaron would probably echo that. You, want, you, you need to have a good relationship uh, for your community with your district city councilor, your senator, um, to, uh, you know, things around development or just things around just the community, what the community needs. So the at-large race is a little bit different. Um, you know, we don't, you don't see as much of them uh, in the in the district, and you shouldn't too, because they have to represent the whole city. But um, I'm always uh, uh, concerned with uh, who my district city councilor is. I'm very happy with the one I got. So yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens. How many how many district councilors do you have in your I, district? I was just about to say um, <laughs> through the redistricting and re-precincting uh, pieces that have happened between both the state and the city over the last couple of years. Uh, I have the uh, the beautiful task of having four district city councilors wow. in my district. Wow. And so, so when you add the four district city councilors, you add the four at-large councilors. I got a lot of councilors. <laughs> <laughs> so, I try, so I try to have as many good relationships as I possibly can. Too. Wow. <laughs> um, well, we wait for uh, further results, uh, guys. I, I got to ask you, how uh, we j you just passed a new state budget, uh, FY24. How did the uh, city of Boston do uh, in the state budget this year, Aaron? I mean, the city of Boston did, you know, uh, try, we tried to do as very well <laughs> as much as we possibly could. Uh, you know, we always have that task of being Boston reps uh, that we have to, uh, you know, obviously do our best to uh, uh, provide the services to the city, mm -hmm. provide, you know, the, uh, the, the help to the mayor and to the council. Mm -hmm. uh, but also we have to have that uh, inevitable task also of, of Beating back folks that say the city gets too much, uh, you know the the we're 18 is about 17 or 18 members of the house that represent some portion of the city, uh, and then there's a hundred, another 142 or some odd members that don't represent the city, and so we're always always constantly kind of battling with them, uh, and finding striking that right that right balance uh, related to it. But the city of Boston, I think, that while we you know we we've we've put some a number of 
pieces of uh, money into housing, another pieces into uh, you know uh, um, transitional housing in particular. Obviously, a huge topic uh, at hand right now related to uh, not just mass and cast, but you know uh, right. the opioid addiction uh, crisis that we deal with in the city of Boston. Um, obviously, the affordability component uh, has been critical. So things of that nature, I think, uh, you know, we're leading with uh, uh, from the House and obviously in, in, as a whole with the state budget. Uh, but I think we, uh, you know, I think you'd have to ask kind of the folks at the city level what they <laughs> felt about how much they got out of the state budget. Well, I, I'm sure at times it puts you in and... Uh, I'm guessing they're going to say not, not enough, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing. I got to ask you, what about this, uh, that big project in... Uh, Alston Brighton to convert that uh, that old rail yard. Uh, did that get any uh, traction in, in the uh, budget this year? Well, that's a, I mean that, that I when you're talking when you're talking projects of that size, you yeah. you 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 have to have federal money. Yeah. Um, and we've just put a second submission in for federal money for that project. Um, I think when all said and done, that's going to be probably up up around approximately a 1.7 1.8 billion dollars so um, we'll find out sometime in March or April mm -hmm. um, if we if we uh, had a good submission and got some of that money from the federal government if you do see that money come in um, it'll start to move very quickly right. now um, that's not ARPA money, right? Or, or no, no, that's that's uh, that's what it is. Is it's, it's money that was infrastructure money. Or? Yeah, it's infrastructure money. Money that was left over. Actually, there's two parts of money. The one that I think we're most uh, likely to be a good fit for, and the mayor and the and the and the governor did a wonderful job of uh, of, of putting this submission in. Um, and, and it was very well received the last time we, we put it in, but this time we improved the final number of our, what we're going to contribute, um, which would be you know somewhere around $1.2 billion uh, all in, and then the federal government would then step in and, and give us the rest of it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, the, it's a large, it will be the largest project uh, in the Comos history, you know, say the big dig, you yeah. know, um, and uh, it unlocks uh, uh, Approximately, um, you know, 75 acres of land that is, from what people tell me, some of the most desirable land in the country uh, when it comes to uh, how it's situated between MIT and Harvard University and its proximity down to Boston. So um, that's an exciting project. Um, it's going to mean a lot of pain for my my constituents mm -hmm. um, because anytime you have a, uh, I think Aaron can attest to this being from the North End, um, you know, when the big dig, what the big dig did to a lot of businesses and a lot of the, just the quality of life right. while the project is going on. Right. Um, everybody wants it, but then, you know, when you have to live through it, it's another yeah, thing. So, transportation yeah. issues. Well, you know, uh, not to switch topics, but of course, Mayor Wu has uh, her own wish list. I know that she's sent up there, including. Uh, 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 you know, some changes to the uh, BPDA, the OBRA, and but uh, more importantly, the what they were terming the rate of the uh, housing stabilization bill. Many people see it as uh, rent control. Uh, how's that doing up there, and does it have any chance uh, of passing, in your opinion? Well, there's a no there's a number of initiatives that the mayor has has championed, and you know whether it would be on the city level or conversations, you know, from a state level. Perspective, uh, you know, one thing that she, uh, you know, can take home from, and this actually did come from the state budget, is the uh, the fact that the city of Boston will have a a seat on the MBTA board uh, now. Uh, the mayor will right. make it made an appointment. Uh, will actually have a voice uh, in terms of the MBTA, which I know uh, the MBTA conversations are are critical to the mayor's uh, overall uh, game plan. You know, for the city of Boston. So to, to have a seat at the table, I think, uh, is a is a big win for. For her, uh, on some of the other things, I think uh, we're still a lot of those are still working their way through the process. 
Uh, you know, we've had a number of conversations around the BPDA uh, piece, and we're still working through that. Um, you know, the rent control or rent stabilization piece has uh, had some, um, you know, we've, we've had some challenges on that in the past. We've, uh, we've taken some votes on that, you know, previously. Uh, it has not passed, and so I, I, you know, I think that we're all open to the conversation of seeing exactly how, what is the best way uh, to manage this housing crisis going forward. Uh, which we all acknowledge that there is a housing crisis, uh, but to go through a, a rent stabilization piece, I think is still something that's being worked through. The bill actually hasn't even had a hearing yet uh, in the housing committee. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, she has definitely tried to add a different wrinkle uh, to it than what maybe what was previously uh, talked about, uh, but I still do think it does have some convincing uh, up at the state house amongst many colleagues. Well, and uh, not to put you on the spot, but some of your critics uh, have suggested that uh, this particular uh, uh, legislative session has been uh, not very productive. Uh, in fact, some have suggested it's one of the more unproductive sessions, that you you haven't passed many bills up there. And uh, you, you want to slam this down? I'll take that. I'll take this. Because I can if you'd like to. I'll take this one. So we've heard some of that. I would say that was probably something more talked about maybe about a month or a month or a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we finalized the, the, the tax cut package, before the House passed uh, the, gun yeah. the gun control legislation, uh, before we were about to take up uh, the funding uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the shelter system for the, for, uh, for the migrants uh, that are coming into the city, that are coming into the state. But I will also point out the fact that um, if you want to look at the numbers a certain way, you can dress them up a certain way how you want. I will argue that we passed 70 outside sections uh, in the budget. Um, 70 separate bills uh, in the budget. So if you if you want to look at the amount of things that have been passed, uh, you know, making universal school meals permanent in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, making community college uh, free for those that are over 25 uh, in the Commonwealth. Uh, these are significant pieces. And uh, renewing driver's license. We, and and do, renewing driver's license, yeah. Like, uh, for, for Well, that was last session, but for immigrant yeah. populations. Yeah. Um, um, you know, there are, there are a number of things that we just did just passing this budget alone that certainly uh, would qualify as individual bills if they were, mm -hmm. if they were done on, on their own or separately from the budget. Some could argue that that may be not the best process to how to do to pass mm -hmm. bills, That's and you can, make that, you can make that argument. But the actual amount of pieces of legislation that we've actually mm -hmm. gotten through in, on the governor's desk that she has filed, I think is certainly a, 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 a solid amount. Of num a solid amount. If you, if you asked us right before we passed the budget, the number would have been low. Yes, yes. absolutely. But I would say now we've kind of moved that needle uh, along. Uh, Is there, well. a, and I've got a bunch of other things I want to ask you about, but uh, in terms of the right to shelter, uh, uh, you know, legislation that's somewhat unique to Massachusetts, is uh, some suggestion that that needs to be tweaked or changed. Uh, is that likely to happen, you think, uh, considering the overflow of uh, refugees coming in and all the other pressures on housing pressures? Well, I know the, the governor has uh, proposed a cap. Mm -hmm. um, and it, look, it, this is a big issue. This is our uh, uh, the biggest issue we're facing right yeah. now. Um, big number, right? Yeah, a, yeah. yeah, a very big number. And, and, and that, in that respect, we don't even know, we can't even quantify that number yet because as you can imagine, Joe, sheltering somebody in Boston versus sheltering somebody in Kingston, different prices, different mm -hmm. you know dollar figures, um, and, and, and complications that are involved in those, because you have you have some kids who come into a uh, who into a setting where they they have 
uh, they're not English uh, first language, and you have putting them in areas and shelters where the school systems are so small they don't even have an English as a second language. So you, you know you, you, a program in their school. So you got to be very careful when you're when you're when you're talking about this issue, and when you're talking about you know maybe turning that issue uh, uh, um, and making and getting rid of that law. I mean we, we're a proud we're a proud state, and we've always been. Uh, a very pro-immigrant state, immigrant state, whether it's migrants or, or immigrants coming in. And I, I, I don't know if we want to entertain changing that right now. It's a tough time. I'm not saying we can't look at it down the road, but um, I, I'm not sure that now is the time to address that issue. This issue, quite honestly, uh, needs to be addressed in Washington, D.C. Yeah. This should not be an issue that we're addressing uh, at the state level. We're, right now, they're asking it to shoulder, uh, shoulder the cost of these migrants 100% with very little money coming in from the feds. Uh, it, they have to. They really have to step up and and, and, and be part of the solution. And we'll see if Joe Biden and Congress steps up. Although there's not uh, a lot of history, at least from the Congress. Well, we're not we're not banking on it right yeah, now. That's, yeah. that's for sure. I, I just want to point out too that the, the the right to shelter law has been in Massachusetts for 40 years. Right. It was passed in 1983. Um, we have never had an issue, uh, really, uh, in dealing with the right to shelter law in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. This issue that we're confronted with right now. Is, is an emergency. We, we, are in a, we are in a crisis right. situation with it. I don't think we should be making, changing the law based off of, a, off of an emergency that's mm -hmm. taking place right now, which may, may dissipate in the next six mm -hmm. months. We just don't know yet. To the leader's point, you know, the, uh, the, you know if Washington, D.C. can get its act together on this discussion, mm -hmm. and it's not a Republican or Democrat thing. I mean, this has happened during Democratic administrations and Republican administrations. It's happened when Republicans have controlled, controlled Congress and when Democrats have controlled Congress. Mm -hmm. The fact is the immigration discussion is a polarizing conversation and both sides go to their corners and play to their, and play to their bases. And, and no one wants to come to the middle and, and try to yeah. work this out. And what ends up happening is the states and the municipalities are the ones that are bearing the brunt of the decision making, of the, of the financial constraints, and of and of the uh, you know the resource constraints mm -hmm. that we're that yeah. we're confronted with. Well, uh, how is the uh, the Commonwealth positioned? I mean, uh, given all the kind of uh, dislocations as a result of the pandemic, and you had a tax cut that you were by law were required to uh, to uh, give, and and uh, how are we positioned in the future going forward on on revenue? Well, we've had we've had a couple uh, rough months over the last uh, you know the first four months of the fiscal year. Uh, we're down 350 million dollars uh, below our benchmarks mm. uh, for FY 24. Uh, just in October alone, we were under 180 million dollars. So we we are we are in a different uh, space right now than we've been in a long time. We had a really good run for a long time. We went 30 straight months of going above our benchmarks. Wow. You know, that's like DiMaggio uh, kind of streak, <laughs> uh, in essence. Um, you know, this is, and we're, so, but what, what always what goes up must come down in some respects. And uh, we're in a little bit of a tighter, so we yeah, we're in a little tighter situation that we're, we're facing right now. So uh, we're trying to figure out exactly why that is. Uh, I don't think that it's clear cut on, on mm -hmm. any one particular issue, uh, one particular piece of the, of the revenue, you know, whether it's sales tax mm -hmm. or income tax or whatever it may be. We're, it's not coming from one direct sure. thing because it's kind of been fluctuating from month to month. Uh, so we're still trying to figure that out, what is the right appropriate uh, mm -hmm. uh, reasons. Uh, and, and in the meantime, we got to, just like we were good in, when, we were, when we had good revenue, we didn't overspend and we didn't you know, uh, throw everything out the door. We luckily have some money left over 
uh, from our good budgets that will allow us to right. com combat some of these. Uh, well, and on top of the rainy and day, the rain, we actually uh, kept some uh, some escrow money from good revenues. So we could see a supplemental. So up. there is so you know to pay for some of these these issues like like the migrant crisis yeah. and others. We're working through those right now, uh, but in the same breath, also trying to be uh, cognizant of we may be in a different space over the next year or so. Uh, okay, again, uh, joining us tonight in this uh, segment, uh, two of the top leaders of the State House of Representatives, uh, the uh, House Ways and Means Chairman, uh, uh, Aaron Michaelwitz, and the House Majority Leader, Michael Moran. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Guys, how's the, uh, how's the governor doing? How's the new governor doing? Is she... Uh, is she working with you? Uh, are you feeling comfortable? Are you feeling like there's a good relationship there to address some of these issues? You yeah, I mean, uh, they're really a team, and and you know, uh, the, the lieutenant governor and the governor have been have been, you know, like any like any new governor, there's there's some sort of uh, growing pains you grow through, but uh, but all in all, I think she's uh, been very communicative to communicative to us, and uh, and and what her um, um, you know uh, wish list is. But also uh, allowing us some space to to, to get uh, what, how we need to get it done. You know, um, one of the problems we always see when a new governor comes in, they they come in with a mandate. They say, um, and uh, and and you know, it's it's a game. It's a it's a game of push and pull between the legislature and the governor, regardless of the party. Yep. Um, and once you sort of figure that out, uh, you sort of hit a hit a hit a, uh, a comfortable streak. And I think she's starting to hit that now. I think there's. There's a couple of speed bumps that were hit early on, but I think we've we've managed to, yep. you know, get over those and, and and improve the improve the relationship, and I think it's in a good space. Now. And how about Mayor Wu? How's she doing? Uh, <laughs> you guys, uh, you're talking to two people that are pretty biased in this conversation. That's it. Think about who yeah. uh, who you endorsed. Yeah, in we, the may, last we, <laughs> we, you may we may we may have two cheerleaders yeah. here for her. So. No, she. I mean, she's doing well. Uh, you know. The city certainly has has issues. She's been confronting those issues head on. You know, I think uh, what I will point to is that everything that she's tried to, you know, whether it get through the city council or work through, you know, on the city level, she's been pretty successful in doing so in the last two years. And I think that's a, that's a, attributed to her a the work that she puts in, uh, the, the the strategy she implement she tries to implement with these with these tough decisions. Right. Uh, it's not an easy job. It's one of it's. It's. I tell her all the time. It's the worst job. You know, and it could be. Uh, you know, in terms of what it is, especially. You know, with with two with two small kids. Yeah. Uh, she works ex extremely hard. I'm. Oh, I'm. You know, I'm know proud of the work that, that she's done. But I know we got a lot, a lot more work to do with her. And I tell you, as you go through tonight and the results, um, it's looking like uh, this is a Michelle Wu night. Uh, I mean, she's not on the ballot, but. Uh, um, the hidden winner, it looks like in this election. Say, she's put herself out there. She's put herself out there, yeah. and, and she's she's hit a home run with every one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I can't. I mean, you can go back one, two mayors, and I've not seen anybody uh, be able to kind of put yeah. the numbers up. She's been putting up in this rate, in this in this off. Yeah. off uh, and again, we're we're running some of those, uh, showing some of the uh, preliminary results. Uh, so, uh, but we do not have final numbers uh, at this point. Uh, Guys, who have got just a minute or so left. What's your uh, your biggest priority in the next uh, year, the next legislative? Uh, well, this session, is it technically over, uh, or do you just July carry 31st it over? Of, July 31st of next year. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's, what's your uh, biggest priority going forward? Well, I, I can tell you the, from the from the state house, from the you know from the macro perspective, it's the migrant issue and the money and mm -hmm. how we handle that and how we address the you know the cap versus uh, versus mm -hmm. the law that says we 
uh, they have a right to shelter. And you know, you mentioned it earlier from a district perspective. Um, you know, the the straightening of the Mass Pike and opening up that 75 yeah. acres down in Austin is is uh, imperative that it's done correctly. And my constituents don't have the um, have the have their quality of life ruined uh, yeah. in the process. Yeah, um, Aaron. Yeah, it's it's uh, keeping the you know the Commonwealth fiscal, fiscal picture. Although, well, that's, I don't know. That, that's that, I'll, I'll take the I'll take challenge. They'll take the budget challenge over doing that. Um, but. It is trying to keep the uh, the fiscal stability of the Commonwealth strong and and uh, not you know not get too um, worried about uh, you know the migrant issue or other things that may mm -hmm. be that we may have to confront. Trying to keep a steady hand on that and uh, uh, you know through good times and bad and that's kind of what is really uh, right now we could have some some difficult uh, months ahead so we got to make sure we're keeping it pretty steady. Well, thanks so much for coming in tonight. Again, uh, state representatives uh, Aaron Michaelwitz from the uh, North End and Michael Moran from the uh, uh, great neighborhood of Brighton, they were pulling their weight up. Could have said the end. great neighborhood of the North End. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. I, mean, <laughs> I should say, you're right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have another special guest joining us. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll be showing you some of the results that are now starting to come in, starting to pour in on this edition of Talking to Neighbors. Stay tuned. We'll be back. We're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. Tonight, uh, all the results from today's Boston City Council races, as well as some special guests and some expert analysis. And uh, before we turn to my uh, guests in this segment, we want to just very quickly review the results that we have. Again, these are preliminary results, and uh, we're not sure which precincts are reporting. So uh, it's just showing, it's more of a snapshot showing you uh, where the race stands at the races stand at this point we are covering of course the at-large race and there's uh, in particular uh, uh, three actually four district races that uh, we're watching closely as well uh, that's uh, three five six and eight uh, and this is what we have so far on the boston city council at-large race again we're not sure how many of those precincts uh, uh, and where they're coming from, but it's showing Aaron Murphy, uh, incumbent, uh, topping the ticket at this point. Uh, Ruthie Louis-June uh, is uh, second. Uh, actually, she is uh, now just le leapt into uh, first place there. You can see that number. Uh, Julia Mejia, third, and incumbent also. And newcomer Bridget Nee Walsh uh, coming in. Well, she now has dropped down to fifth place. Mm -hmm. And Henry Santana, a, a mayoral endorsed uh, candidate to form here, her former director 
of civic engagement has jumped up into fifth place, or into fourth place, I should say. And uh, again, those are changing as we speak. We also have some district results, very limited, but uh, and we'll try and bring those up if we can. Uh, this is uh, District 9 out in Alston and Brighton. Uh, Liz Braden, the uh, incumbent, uh, uh, racking up a lead. Again, very limited reporting, but uh, seems to be on her way to re-election. And uh, see some of the other districts that we have. District 8, Sharon Durkin just elected in a special election this summer to replace uh, Kenzie Bach, who's the new BHA administrator. She now seems to be winning handily again. Just very limited reporting at this point, but she won the same, the special election against the same candidate, Montez Haywood, who's a uh, assistant district attorney in Suffolk County. And uh, in District 7, uh, Tanya Anderson uh, appears on her way to victory as well. Again, very limited reporting. She's running against a perennial candidate, former uh, state rep, former counselor Althea Garrison. Uh, and again, there's a very uh, early returns in that race as well. Now we turn to District 6, where, uh, of course, the incumbent was uh, uh, eliminated in the preliminary election, Kendra Lara. And, uh, it uh, looks like uh, Ben Weber, a labor attorney, is building up a, a lead over William King, who's an IT director from West Roxbury, Ben Weber from Jamaica Plain. Uh, and in District 5, a uh, very interesting race here. This is the, the race uh, to replace uh, uh, Ricardo Arroyo, who lost in the prelim. Enrique Pepin, again, a protege of uh, Mayor Wu, uh, former director of neighborhood services, uh, seems to be building up a lead. Again, we're not sure where these numbers are coming from. Jose Ruiz, uh, who's a former Boston uh, police detective, uh, also in that race. And District 3, that's an open seat. Uh, Frank Baker giving up his seat. And there, uh, John Fitzgerald, the scion of a former state rep from Mission Hill, but. Uh, He's, he's a Dorchester guy now, John Fitzgerald, and he seems to did well in the prelim, and he seems to be doing well in the final. Joel Richard, uh, a Boston Public Schools teacher and uh, lay minister, uh, running a strong second, but uh, well behind. Again, those are preliminary numbers, and uh, I'm pleased to have joining me now on set an, an old friend, a, uh, of course, a longtime activist, a strategist, Media consultant and uh, good friend, Joyce uh, Farrell. Thank you. Joyce, uh, any of those uh, numbers surprise you there uh, so far? You? Uh, no, not really. Yeah. Um, I think that, no, I don't even know why we have these races. But anyway, uh, this is a race for uh, the mayor to, you know, hone into folks that mm -hmm. she wants to have on her team. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, she made some, you know, good choices, and they seem to be uh, moving right. up, you know, in the scheme of things. The city uh, council race, that's interesting. I had hoped that, and I, it's still early, as you mm -hmm. said, that Ruthie uh, would be number one. Right. Uh, and she may still uh, right. be. 
Um, Odds on favorite, according to a number of people, that's yeah, welcome yeah. to become the next city council president. Right. She's a great yep. counselor, right. one of the good ones. And, yeah. uh, un, un, you know, she's gotten caught up in what has become a clown show on right. uh, the council. Yeah. My hope is that, you know, it kind of smooths itself yeah. out because it doesn't bode well for the city. Right. Well, let me ask you about that. Uh, uh, you know, that there was a lot of, uh, and, and it really seemed to start, although it may have been percolating long before that, uh, during the de debate over redistricting, there were some very uh, sharp words exchanged. I mean, we're accustomed to, sure. to uh, you know, sharp elbows in Boston politics, but uh, harsh words, including charges of racism, bigotry, uh, religious uh, uh, bigotry, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And uh, a lot of hard feelings came out of it, and uh, uh, and it was described <clears throat> in uh, news reports as a clown show, <laughs> and uh, uh, a lot of people think it, it damaged the city council's reputation. Uh, do, do you agree? And yes. I mean, who's 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 at fault for that? I mean, who can you blame for that? Well, you know, I think that it was a carryover. Uh, from the redistricting um, episode and that people uh, couldn't put it aside once mm -hmm. it got fixed, okay, and they continued on. I mean, we even had one counselor who went on radio and talk shows to dash his colleagues. Uh, as you know, my husband served on the council, right. Bruce yeah. Bowling, and um, it was a different time then, but you, even though you may have had an attitude uh, and not agreed with your mm -hmm. colleague, you didn't slam them the way some of these were slammed. Um, and, and, and I want to bring into this conversation, uh, joining us live uh, via phone is uh, at-large city, uh, city councilor Michael Flaherty. Uh, oh, speak of uh, the devil. <laughs> who, is, uh, who is giving up his seat, uh, did, decided not to run for uh, re-election, and uh, is joining us. Michael, are you there? Hey, Joe, how are you? Yeah, thanks for joining us, Michael. Hi, Michael. Yeah. Hey, Joyce, how are you? Joyce, was that a subtle endorsement for four-year terms for the <laughs> <laughs> so I might have stuck around. <laughs> well, Michael, when you were here uh, earlier, you talked about uh, some of the uh, uh, behavior you witnessed firsthand and uh, how discouraging it was. Uh, I mean, I, I'm asking Joyce, and I, I invite you to join in. Whose fault is that... Uh, uh, that it got to that is the individual members. Is there a lack of uh, one second? Is there a lack of leadership there? Uh, yes, there was. Uh, is it uh, uh, Council President uh, Ed Flynn's fault, or, or is that unfair? It's everyone's. No, it was, uh, well, we have to see Ed, Ed was refereeing every single day, uh, taking away from uh, his ability, I think, to to put an agenda for it. At the end of the day, um, you're an elected representative uh, for the people, and you have to. There's got to be a level of decorum. Um, the vitriol that's been on the floor, foul language, uh, F-bombs. I've never seen anything like it uh, in my 20 years there. And I've been there through some tumultuous debates. We would see tumultuous debates, but then you could go get a coffee or a sandwich or a beer after work with your colleagues. Those days are gone Yeah. Uh, where you can have a disagreement on the floor and it stays on the floor because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about the constituents. It's about the people of Boston. And, uh, and so I, I arguably have just had it. Um, it. It did, as you guys alluded to, it was, it was redistricting. The, 
drawn uh, on racial lines. We got drawn into federal court. Federal court judge threw it out, forced us to go back to the room and to put together a map that, frankly, was was almost identical to the map that I had proposed and the mayor had proposed as citywide city councilors, knowing all 22 wards, knowing all the precincts, all the neighborhoods. Um, the city is a great city, uh, and I've been a big part of the progress of the city uh, and having had a front row seat. I know the neighborhoods. It was the top vote getter. Uh, and so I was trying to offer suggestions and, 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 well, and work and, with my and, colleagues, and, but they had their own opinions and their own interpretation. And, and you decided to give up your seat or not run for re-election in part because of that. Uh, is, a, is the council uh, reputation kind of permanently damaged? Uh, Joyce, jump well, in. Well, I don't think they're permanently damaged. No, I don't think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that when it, you're going to get a whole new crew right. in. There's going to yeah. be at okay. least four new faces That's on the right. council. And right. I think that... You know, um, people were saying that, you know, the progressive wing, the moderate, there's always been a mix of uh, moderate, uh, a True. mix of progressive uh, on the council, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and some conservatives. Absolutely. Right? Michael and, replaced and, one. Oh, yeah. And, and, we, and, and we got a few socialists now that are trying to pull yeah. the progressives further to the left. And uh, Joy sort of had touched on it. The, 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 since the preliminary election, Joey, uh, uh, Joe and Joyce, the fact that two, not one, two incumbent city councilors lost know. in their preliminary elections, for me, says it all. It says the folks in District 5 and District 6, people mm -hmm. across the well, city, and, and for me it says with the from, city council. And yeah. frankly, since that election, the behavior has gotten a hell of a lot better on the Boston City Council. Well, for me it says that the city... Uh, is watching what people are doing. F folks are th going through this right. and thinking, you think okay, they're not paying attention? Thank they, you. They and are. they yep. are paying attention yep. because yep. there was just, you know, too much uh, there. And I'm, I'm going to say another thing. The budget process was such a, I couldn't believe it. Um, here, the yep. council this was the second time and, that and they have were additional a, power it, now yes here they have the power and it was totally squandered right. I sent a text to every single one of the members saying who said to cut the veterans for God's sake yep. one million dollars I mean it's so paltry yep. you know for the guys who would give their lives for you um, what, you know, and other things. It was disastrous. Uh, so that's got to be, you know, straightened out. Um, and But I think that I do have a lot of faith in that institution. As I said, right. my your, husband, your husband practiced there, yeah. et cetera. And, you know, I remember big fights. Uh, you know, this is probably before everybody's day, but I remember the whole yellow dog thing with Fred, Fred Langone when he's <laughs> screaming down the hall, you know. Um, but I also understand that the only black um, person who was on the council, who was my husband, you know, worked to convince everyone to share in his linkage uh you know, I remember Dapper coming to yeah. his office a couple of times and saying, well, I got a triple decker. Is it going to hurt me or what? So I think <clears throat> that with new voices, new faces, we're going to have a new direction. At least I'm hoping for that. Well, and, and Michael, uh, you uh, 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 
defeated uh, Dapper O'Neill, the ultimate uh, right. conservative member yeah. of, uh, I was of the, that. I so was there's the always, a, Boston, always Joe, change. You remember. Yeah. And Michael, uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Again, uh, Boston City Council, Michael Flaherty. Anytime. It's good to see you, Joe, and good nice to see you. To see you. And good to talk to you, Joe. Yes, best oh, of Good seeing you. Good luck. You too. And uh, again, we're uh, live on set of, uh, at uh, BNN TV here in Eggleston Square. And joining me, Joyce Faribault, a longtime political activist, strategist, media consultant, you name it. Uh, she's been there, done it, and uh, well, thank appreciate you. it. I, I, we've got just a, a, a minute or so left. Sure. I've got to ask you, I mean, uh, uh, you know, following the mayoral election two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the majority of the council, uh, for the first time, were people of color and women, and uh, and I'm wondering your thoughts on because you well, have some changing. perspective. Yeah, uh, it will change again. But uh, is that an indication that the city has finally kind of turned the page or turned the corner? And uh, is the council now, in some ways, the the face of the city? I don't know. Um, I'd have to th really think about that. Um, I think that um, I'm, I'm so very happy and I worked really hard uh, to ensure, uh, do my part right. for Ruthie to be elected because we are the, the city with the third largest Haitian uh, Ameri uh, population. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think that, you know, now, um, you know, I'll have to see how this shakes out, but it looks like we're getting more white candidates elected mm -hmm. than of color to me so far. And that's a strange position. Strange, yeah, yeah, I think mix, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, definitely some uh, changes there. Uh, uh, again, uh, we're bringing uh, all the results from today's uh, Boston City Council races. Uh, we do have some numbers here we want to show you. And uh, again, uh, we're not sure just how many, what percentage of the vote this is, but uh, uh, it's a very uh, close competition for the uh, top finisher between uh, Ruthie Louis Yoon and uh, Aaron Murphy, uh, followed by uh, incumbent Julia Mejia. And it looks like Henry Santana, who's a uh, uh, Mayor Walsh uh, protege, uh, is building up a comfortable lead for the fourth council seat. And uh, here's some other numbers. Uh, uh, Joyce, uh, you know, as, as we look at uh, uh, how the, uh, the mayor kind of flexed her muscle here. Uh, sure. You know, we've lived through the Mayor Menino era when uh, uh, he would throw his weight behind candidates. Absolutely. And with, with great uh, success uh, is, uh, Mayor Wu now building up in, in, in a position to do that, or is she just... Um... Well, she's smart to do that. Um, everybody has done it. You mentioned uh, Tom Menino. He's done it. <coughs> These are low turnout races, so therefore you can c actually count. Right. Okay? And I think that what you want is to ensure that you've got your soldiers in place when you, you know, do your second mm -hmm. term. I think she's done a great job it on that. It sounds like she has. Uh, thank you so much for coming in tonight. Okay, uh, Joe. My Thanks good friend, me. Joyce Faribault. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We'll run uh, again uh, the results that we have so far. And we'll be back with two more uh, special guests. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
All right, we're back with this special edition of Talk in the Neighborhoods. Tonight, uh, all the results from today's Boston City Council races, uh, they're really starting to pour in now, and uh, we're, we're showing some preliminary results, and we're inviting some special guests to uh, help you chew on them, so to speak, and uh, I'm pleased to have joining me in this segment uh, uh, two of my favorite guests uh, <laughs> on my far left, you're right, uh, he is, let me get this straight here, the executive <laughs> director of Progressive Massachusetts Funders Collaborative. You've got to come up with a shorter version. We're working on it, we're working on it. Uh, of course, David Halbert, uh, its executive director. Welcome, David. And in the middle, on my immediate left, uh, Mary Tamer is the executive director of Democrats for Education Reform. Welcome. To both of you, thanks for thanks, coming Joe. in tonight. What are you hearing? Do you, do you have any updates to share with our our audience be, besides what we're seeing on the screen? Yeah, I think it's you know it's really interesting what you're seeing in the reporting right now, and I think everybody's kind of obsessively following along on the uh, the open election platform. But then news reports, you know, I just caught before I came in here, the Dorchester Reporter is saying that John Fitzgerald is winning in District Three. Ben Weber, I know, has uh, claimed victory in the District Six race. So those are two of the mm -hmm. big four, I would yep. say, you know, mm -hmm. this year between those District Five and of course the fourth seat on the at-large field. Right. Um, so it's interesting, the dominoes are starting to fall. Well, we're starting to see it. Mary, uh, yeah. anything in those uh, numbers uh, surprising you? You know, you, I, I think that... You, you both have run before for a city we council. Have, we, so at yes. the same yeah. time. You know what to look for. <laughs> We do, and you know, it is. It's interesting having had the perspective of, of being a candidate. But I think sometimes it's it's surprising to see. You know, John Fitzgerald did very well in the prelim, and he was running, I, I think, against six other candidates. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes there's a lot of speculation when you know how many of those other votes from those other six candidates will go to the person that mm -hmm. came in second. And I think what we're seeing is that. Um, not only did John Fitzgerald keep a pretty significant lead, but he also gained picked a lot of, a lot of those picked votes. up a lot of those other votes along the way. So, I mean, what what we were seeing just a few minutes ago was a 65-35 split. So that is a that is a pretty profound uh, win. And again, apparently, the uh, Dorchester Reporter. Uh, uh, at least uh, reporting that they it looks like John Fitzgerald Correct. will win that seat. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, it's uh, you know interesting because the, there's been a lot of controversy over the last two years with the council and and uh, you know during the prelim two of the council's biggest progressives, so-called progressives, um, lost and uh, you know due to their own you know, controversies that I, I think they had you know, helped to create or had a hand in. Um, and I guess my question for you both is. Uh, uh, is the council, I mean, if these numbers hold, is the council heading back to a more uh, balanced body? It, uh, it was uh, kind of tilting left, I think most people would say. And uh, um, David, you're now uh, <laughs> in a position to uh, analyze uh, uh, these uh, candidates. And, and you ran yourself, and you were a terrific candidate. And uh, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. And, uh, well, you know what they say, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good, right? <laughs> now, but in all seriousness, I think that what you're seeing is still a presence, a strong presence of the city's progressive block on the ballot, right? Mm -hmm. Enrique Penn, Ben Weber, both ran on progressive platforms. Obviously, you know, as you said, Ben, uh, excuse me, Councilor-elect, I should say, Weber, 
uh, has claimed victories, and I think that's going to continue the trend in District 6. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that what you saw is a passing of the baton in some ways between the current incumbents mm -hmm. in both of those seats and Councilors Arroyo right. and Lara from an ideological perspective. And really, the conversation within progressive circles is going to be about the voice-efforsness of folks in terms of how they take that progressive agenda and how they put it, you know, really put their muscles behind it, put their mm -hmm. shoulders into right. it, and making that case. Um, you know, that was one of the things that you could, whether you like them or not, you could always depend mm -hmm. on Councilors Arroyo and Lara to give a lot of thoughtful advocacy for progressive positions. Mm -hmm. And so the question on the table is going to be, you know, if uh, Enrique Pepin does become Councilor-elect in District 5 as well, is he going to be and will Councilor-elect Weber be the same kind of vocal leaders mm -hmm. on these issues? Both endorsed, incidentally, by uh, Mayor Wu. And uh, Mary, uh, jump in here because, uh, uh, you know, the, the council for the first time had uh, additional kind of budgetary powers. Uh, uh, an ability to have more of an influence in the budget, whereas before they had to, you know, it had to reject the budget mm -hmm. and then uh, ask or, or advocate for their positions. But, uh, uh, but despite, it hasn't really translated, though, Joe. Well, that's to, what right? I was saying. Despite we uh, seen, uh, uh, what what a lot of people saw as a progressive majority, and you know, I, I think uh, uh, Mayor Wu counts herself as a progressive, but mm -hmm. uh, they, they didn't seem to use that power, did they? No, you know, I think um, what we've had here in Boston for a very long time is a strong mayoral form of government. Mm -hmm. And I think what we continue to see is that the mayor has levers that she can mm -hmm. use to certainly demonstrate her power when it comes to budget or other policy maneuvers, including um, a return to an elected school committee. I think that, um, you know, I personally believe the ballot question was flawed and it didn't give folks the opportunity to say I want elected, I want appointed, or I want a hybrid, which is something that Mayor Wu had mm -hmm. spoken about throughout her campaign about being supportive of a hybrid structure. Um, we've done polling at Democrats for Education Reform around what is it that voters really wanted, and honestly, hybrid is what came yeah. out on top. Yeah. And so when, when you have a very narrow ballot question, I think um, it doesn't allow yeah. voters to yeah. really, I think that vote really said more about people being unhappy with the school system and with the current, you know, appointed body, right. but not necessarily wanting to return to a fully elected structure. But I will say in terms of, you know, I think that for both District 5 and District 6, you do have very, I, I think sometimes when we label our candidates, like it's a little bit um, disingenuous because, you know, I think we've become so polarized, even in, in all political circles, right. Democrat and yeah. Republican, that we have to be mindful of the fact that everyone on the city council is a Democrat. Right. Like, let's be clear. Right. Enrique Pepin is not Ricardo Arroyo, who faced numerous um, fines and ethics violations. Right. There were lots of other accusations that came out during his DA's race. Councillor Lara was also, you know, had some misfortunes mm -hmm. that took yeah. place. And I think a lot of folks um, were looking for something different. And I think that Ben Weber yeah. is, in fact, a different candidate, you know. Um, and so I do think that... Um, and Enrique you know, Pepin, a different candidate. Yeah. You know, these are all different right. candidates. And so yeah. I think that when we label people, we're not, you know, yeah. because I think William King was painted as some conservative, which he's absolutely not, uh, you know? No, and not. so um, so I just think that we have to be careful about right. labels. labels. Well, it's always six degrees of separation or, or whatever it is, uh, maybe one degree, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a little bit, and we've got uh, 
um, we'll be showing some some more results. Um, uh, of course, two incumbents lost, uh, including uh, Kendra Lara and uh, Ricardo Arroyo. And um, it, but uh, you know, the question that keeps coming up is, you know, and it's the what happened on the council floor has been called the clown show, and depending upon who you talk to, uh, uh, says something out. What's what's your own? Uh, you, you maybe are both. Happy that you didn't get elected last time, right? Uh, no, I'm I just think my kidding. Wife is. <laughs> but what's been missing? What's what's missing on the council? Because uh, uh, you're both close political watchers of. Uh, yeah, I think you know part of it is like anything, any organization. Yeah. It's a body, right? Yeah. And it's a legislative body, so it starts at the top. And the question is, what kind of tone is being set from leadership from the president's office? I think there is going to be a bit of uh, looking back over these next few mm -hmm. weeks as the dust settles from this election mm -hmm. and thinking about who's going to be the next council president right. and is that person going to be able to create an environment mm -hmm. that is more conducive to collaboration, to positive work, uh, to getting things kind of back on track from what mm -hmm. the perception has been. Um, and I'm very curious to see what those conversations look like and ultimately who's going to be that individual or those individuals mm -hmm. who are making the case that they are the ones to lead the body into the future. I think it's going to be really telling um, what kind of person goes into you know the big office on the other side of the fifth floor because everything that we're talking about now you yeah. know is that Mario Cuomo right. quote goes right the poetry of a campaign moving into the prose of governance right now what we're really thinking about is who's going to be able to be a right. leader and who's going to be able to be potentially a counterpart. Is it a lack of leadership though? Uh, Ed Flynn, nice, nice guy, great guy yeah. actually, you know. Uh, I don't think uh, it's Did a, he drop the ball there? Or? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that even President Barack Obama would have had difficulty reigning <laughs> in this council. I think um, having had the misfortune of being at a city council meeting the day of the infamous brawl in the hall, mm -hmm. I, um, I cannot even begin to describe what it was like to be in that room, to have people screaming at each other, whether it was council members, whether it was people in the audience who were screaming at council members, um, and the fact that it then turned to physical violence. And I remember one of the police officers who was there coming over to me and saying, I think you better leave now um, for my own safety. Right. And so it um, to think about these kinds of occurrences mm -hmm. and the fact that we've had a council, for example, who at times seems to be more focused on passing resolutions on Cuba than focusing on what really matters mm -hmm. to the citizens and residents of Boston. Yeah. What do we really need to do lost to tackle? Of the yes, I mean, I mean, we our schools are you know we have really challenged. If you look at our reading rates, our mm -hmm. math scores. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of significant issues to tackle right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And I think there has been so much drama that has really distracted from the work of the council. And I think, I think even the Pope wouldn't be able to rein right. in this crew. Well, and raise an interesting point. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I mean, what do you both see as the biggest challenges facing the council in the next two years? The schools for sure, Joe. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we have to always be mindful of the fact that one third of our city budget goes to our school system. Mm -hmm. We have buildings that are in absolutely terrible shape. And I know the mayor's, you know, has her Green New Deal. And we really hope to see some results from that, you know, in the coming years. But we also have an excess capacity issue. Last year alone, we spent over $60 million on empty seats. 
We have enough empty seats in the Boston Public Schools to fill almost 17 mm. school buildings. We will never be able to invest in our system until we address our issue of excess capacity. Mm. So given how much we spend on our schools, that has to be a top priority, frankly, for everyone on the council. Uh, David? Yeah, I think that obviously schools are a huge issue. Um, in you know, making sure that our schools are performing in the exact way that we want them to. I say that not just as a talking head, but as a BPS parent myself. I was say. But it all really goes back to housing. It's yeah. the number one issue in the city. It's the number one issue in the state. It's one of the top issues nationally that we're talking about. And the impact of people being pushed out of communities, not having access to mm -hmm. affordable homes, you know, making, as we've had a lot of conversations in the civic space here in the city, about a city of the incredibly, incredibly wealthy, you know, gleaming towers mm -hmm. that are going up that can only be afforded by, you know, the 1% mm -hmm. and the upper one of the yeah. 1%. Well, right. they're talking about converting some of the office space and some of those towers into housing. Is yeah, that, I hear is there's that some, the answer? Well, you know, I hear there's some space at WeWork <laughs> that you might be able to repurpose. But I think, in all seriousness, I think making sure that we're addressing, because actually for anything that we're talking about, whether we're talking about education, public safety, all of it, it really does come back to having a stable population housing. And that's the policy issue that I think is going to be one of the top, if not one of the top issue. Mm -hmm. I think on the political side, it's that everything's going to be driven and defined right now, once again, this race being in the rear view, by the upcoming re-election race in 2025 of Mayor Wu and what the decisions are gonna be made in terms of the policies that are coming from right. the other side of the fifth floor and what the conversation between the council and the mayor's office is looking into that. Well, uh, Michael McCormick, uh, former Boston City Councilor and political sage uh, uh, of sorts, uh, said during the prelim when he was here that uh, he thinks the uh, city could face a, a serious budget crunch. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 